I've missed you. This is Danny, and this is the Ice Planet Podcast, the podcast where we read and discuss every book in Ruby Dixon's Ice Planet Barbarian series. As you may or may not have noticed, I don't I don't actually know how many people noticed there wasn't an episode last week. I took a week off, kind of chilled with the Ice Planet Barbarians for a week. It was good. I kind of needed that. I wasn't burning out, but I was close to singeing. So at about this part of the podcast, I would share, you know, comments and responses. I would receive two questions posted on the Twitter, but along with my planned podcast break, I took an unplanned Twitter break. I did not plan to like completely disappear. Things just sort of, I don't know, it was kind of nice to unplug from Twitter. I've been in that weird like digital hippie space. I've been reading a lot of books about unplugging. Um, It's impossible for me to do though. I literally do social media for a living, which is also why my personal social media kind of falls to the side. It's like baking all, it's like being a baker and baking all day and then coming home and having to bake some more. It's like, you just want to stop. I don't know where I'm going with this is there is no Twitter, but I got a very lovely email from Sabrina in the UK. And I want to share it with you all because I love it. And she brings up some really cool things I think we need to discuss and I'll just get into it. So hi, Danny. Hi. She says, I just wanted to email you to let you know I've been listening to your podcast on my way to and from work in the car, and I live in fear about getting in an accident, which is a possibility as I get distracted by you guys as I laugh so hard, and that someone hears your discussion around huge alien dicks while some comatose in my seat. I'm enjoying your podcast immensely and look forward to it coming out every week or so. Well, drive safely, Sabrina. I really, we don't want that happening to you. Um, Personal highlights include Chekhov's dick and the constant discussions around mispronunciation. Chekhov's stick may be my favorite line from the podcast. I don't want to play favorites, but I just feel like that is something that needs to be on some swag. I'm going to see what I can do because it was just so perfect. It really sums up why I did this podcast to have these conversations about plot points and, you know, these things that pop up in the series and directions Ruby Dixon could have taken things and what I don't know. It's just, I love it so much. And Chekhov's stick is funny. Um, the mispronunciation is actually, I'm glad you enjoy that because at some point I'm like, people are really going to get sick of me not knowing what the hell I'm talking about. Um, she continues with, I struggled to get the names and terms right too. And I was convinced that it was quee like you and not that it rhymes with cootie. Cootie really annoys the hell out of me. First, yay for the anti cootie brigade. So glad to have you as a member. I had tweeted at some point that the reason I am so confused about the pronunciation of quee and whether or not it's qui or ku or ku is because for the cootie pun to work, doesn't it have to be ku and saku? But then the audio is qui and saqui. And then I overthought it and I just completely ruined it for myself. So I'm I'm glad I've spread that confusion. I apologize. She continues with I see that in the latest podcast, Molly talks about possibly being a sex therapist. And if I was stuck on Nothoth, I would have been the therapist as I am a psychologist in real life and everyone on that planet needs therapy. Oh yes, yes, they really do. Especially some of those traumatized barbarians. Hayden would have been less dumb if he processed some of his stuff and became more self-aware. I guarantee it. I mean, it certainly couldn't have made him dumber. Um, Poor guy continues to push people away and then wonders why no one loves him. And you know what, if saying that every time I say that aloud, I relate to it so much, it kind of hurts. So let's move on. She continues with, I've read Ruby Dixon Corsair series and the books connected to them and the Ice Planet Barbarians. 
I'm a bit confused, and I don't know if you could say a bit about this on the podcast, about the timeline of all of them and how they fit in. I am assuming they are all Misaka. The original main ship, I am assuming, had Misaka on it that crashed. I don't know if in the future you might do a podcast on those side books, but I would be here for that. We sort of touch on this in this podcast. Time in this universe is kind of a confusing thing. It's, 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 it just flows. Um, I don't know for certain how the Corsair series ties into this series. I am assuming they're sort of like contemporary, like they run on the same timeline. If you really want to get confused, how do the dragons fit into this? Because I do believe that takes place in an dystopian future where dragons have taken over the earth and humans are like constant are like living in the shadows of these giant dragons that are just flying over them and constantly attacking our cities so i don't know how that fits in i don't know if that was before or after the girls got kidnapped someone i believe on this very podcast explained it to me and i've already (laughs) i've already dropped it there's a lot to juggle in this universe there's a lot happening i will say as far as i can tell the Corsair series and the Ice Planet Barbarian series, they run, there's no reason why they couldn't happen at the same time. Um, the humans that are saved in the Corsair series, I believe, aren't they saved from being slaves? And we do know that in that series, as well as in Ice Planet Barbarians, Earth is a forbidden planet. Um, humans are not supposed to be, humans are sort of seen as like uh, contraband. They're not supposed to be traded or hijacked or kidnapped or any of this stuff. It's a black market kind of thing. Um, as for how time flows in general, I do touch on that in this episode. We, I don't even know how far we are out from the initial book. I believe we're like a good, what, two or three years from that first book, but it doesn't feel like it. So, you know, things move quick. I, and on your final note, I have thought about doing a side podcast on those other books. Like there are some things about Ice Home I really want to talk about. I could do a whole episode by myself on Callie's catastrophe and my feelings surrounding that. Um, But I'm thinking about it because if I do do that, it'll be like another year because I've got to get the guests and produce and do all that. So I wouldn't be able to do it right away, but I'm, I'm considering it. I feel like it would be a lot of fun. And I would do the Corsair series too, because those are only like four books that I could do easy. Um, she concludes with literally the only thing I'm not a fan of on the podcast is the music you use at the beginning. You know what? Fair. Fair. Um, she says, I hope it's okay to say that. I just find it super creepy. Ha ha. Yeah. Fair. Um, I was really concerned about rights. I, so confession, I kind of wanted to do Katy Perry's ET cause it just, it's perfect. It's, it's a perfect selection for this podcast, but I was really like paranoid about rights and usage and I don't want angry music lawyers coming after me. So I searched through some royalty-free music, tried to find something that feels kind of spacey, but romantic and creepy. I don't mind the creepy. I mean, creepy fits. I Creepy fits. So, but yes, I do understand. The music is, I don't hate it. Would it have been my first choice? No, but I'm coming around to it. I kind of like it. It's, it's, it's like, yes, it's ice planet time. Um, she says, anyways, I'll stop going on. I just want to say hi from the UK and that I'm loving the podcast. I look forward to next week's episode. All the best, Sabrina. Thank you so much, Sabrina. I really do appreciate the letter because sometimes I'm sitting here talking to myself when I do these little intros, preparing the next week's episode. I'm like, 
is this too messy? Is this too much? Am I being too much of a weirdo? Am I, am I just really, really crossing a line I don't need to be doing with my life? So I'm glad that other people are getting entertained by it. Um, as always, you listener, if you have things you want to say, you can tweet me at IcePlanetPod on Twitter, or you can send me an email if you want something more long form. I can be reached at contact at IcePlanetPod.com. Um, I love these emails. I would love to hear your theories. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I'd love to hear how do you pronounce Kui, because I'm open for all of it. Again, that's why I'm doing this. So thank you again. I think that's it for our intro lead-in. It was a very lovely letter, and I'm so glad to have received it. Um, So let's head into the episode now. This week, I discussed Barbarian's Touch with Melinda. You may know her as Melinda Edits on Twitter. She is also an admin with Romance Sparks Joy. Barbarian's Touch, aka the one with the psychic, which I still cannot get over. Um, this Rok- That is Rokan's and Lila's book. Really excited for this discussion because, again, as I sort of mentioned when I touched on Chekhov's dick, I didn't really appreciate, you know, Lila as a character until I sat and had this discussion with Melinda and we discussed on how she sort of grows from this sort of, you know, a shrinking violet to like really her own woman who's out on this ice planet, deaf no less, you know, befriending Metlax and dragging a seven foot ice planet barbarian to a fruit cave and nursing him back to health. And it's like, yes, this is it's so great. It was so cool to read. And I don't know if I really would have gotten a full appreciation for like the story had I not had this lovely discussion. So again, this is book seven, Barbarian's Touch, Rokan and Lila with Melinda from Romance Sparks Joy. Listen in. As always, I'll be here when you get back and enjoy. Cue the creepy theme music. Welcome. This is, I said I wasn't going to introduce the podcast, but I'm doing it again. This is book seven, Barbarian's Touch, aka Lila's book. I probably should have asked you beforehand if, to make sure we both read the same book. You did read Lila's, yes. I did, definitely. Okay. With these titles, I have a fear that one day I'm going to tell someone Barbarian's XYZ and they're going to get confused. It's very complicated. Yes. So yes, yeah, so Lila's book, which I'm excited about. This was a this was a very plot heavy book. There's a lot that happens. So uh, my guest today is Melinda. And hello, uh, hello. So please feel free to introduce yourself and how people may know you. Um, I'm Melinda. I'm on Twitter and I talk about books like. 95% of the time. Um, I am also an admin of Romance Sparks Joy, so I talk about books there too. So I talk about books everywhere. You're our second Romance Sparks Joy. Oh, admin. right. Yeah. Izzy also told me that she did it and she was very excited about it. Yes, that was a great one. That's that one, the phrase Chekhov's dildo came up. And Excellent. It, it's, it's probably, I like, I want mugs. I don't know if that's possible or buttons or something. I just need it. So for this episode, we read book seven. As we had mentioned, this is Lila and Rokan's book. So when we last sort of left off in book six, which was Hayden and Josie's book, they had discovered two more women on the ice planet. 
And so they didn't have the ability to free them then. So that's sort of what kicks off the start of this book is we go to rescue these two women and then we we get into all sorts of adventures. So um, I meant to ask you, how did you discover Ice Planet Barbarians? What got you into the series? I was into, like, I was looking for banana pants books, like, a couple years ago, and I usually don't like them very much, but every once in a while, I'm just like, I want something real crazy, and this fit the bill, and I think I read, I went back and looked, and it was 2018, and I read books one through five real quick, like, in, I don't know, a week or two, and I loved every single one of them, and then I didn't read this one until this so this was brand new for me. Yay. They are very inherently bingeable. Like, oh, my you gosh. Pick up, yeah, you pick up one, you have to get to the next. You have to know next. what happens. And, like, you want to know what happens with each of the people in them. You're like, oh, my God, what's their book going to be like? Yeah, because she threads these plot points so well. And then, it's like, these little mini arcs. I'm like, oh, she's good. She is because, like, you inter- you hear about, like, Lila and Maddie, and you're like, okay, I want to know what happens to them. And in this one, you're like, well, what happens to Maddie? So you have to read the next one. Yes, I'm very – yeah, Maddie's book is great. So, so how did you find it? Was it Kindle Unlimited? Because when I asked people about how they found it, Kindle Unlimited came up a lot. I didn't even have Kindle Unlimited at the time. It was just a random wreck. I think it was <laughs> – Oh, it was a Facebook group at the time. Like, ah. and people were like, you know, this is just a banana pants book. You should read it. And I was like, I'm not really into aliens, but I mean, and, and then I was like, wait, I take it back. <laughs> uh, that was me too. That was a yeah. couple of people I found. Like, this is like your first foray into like the aliens. And, and then now I'm like, I, I'm wrong. I like aliens. I'll be, I'll, I'm up for anything. I'll read some alien sex. Yeah, let's do this. Sure. So... <laughs> So, so Lila's book, we're jumping in. Let's talk about our hero and our heroine. What did you think of Lila and Rokan? I, okay, so at first I was not a fan of Lila because I usually like, like badass heroines, like badass female male main characters are my thing. And so she's a little, um, vulnerable Mm -hmm. at the beginning and dependent on other people, which is understandable, you know, strange alien planet. But at first I was just kind of like, but like, as the plot goes along, I fell in love with her and I was like, yes, I love her. So I definitely fell in love with her as the plot goes on. I think she has maybe some of the strongest character development in the series. Cause you're right. She starts off kind of annoyingly dependent on everyone. And then as the book goes on, as Rokan teaches her things, she sort of comes into her own person. And she like, at one point she's like, you know, dragging him up a mountain to get him healed in the fruit cave. Right. And she like, she comes to that realization that she needs to get these skills. No one else is like, listen, you need to do this. She Mm -hmm. has that like development where she's like, holy crap. I need to figure out how to do this on my own. And I was like, hell yeah. So I was really into that. And one thing we haven't touched on yet, she was, she's deaf. She had cochlear implants before her abduction and they took them. So now she's like in the, I don't know what, in silence on this ice planet. Right. And so like Lila had, I think she had, she had them for 10 years before that. So she, she had been deaf on earth 
and then had cochlear implants. So she mm-hmm. had been, she had the experience of being deaf and then hearing and now deaf again. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I did have sympathy for her with that for sure. But I also was like, oh my gosh, she's just, she was waffling so much. But I definitely was like interested to see how like Miss Dixon would like pull that off. Yeah. And I thought, you know, like, she's extra isolated because the aliens all have English and the humans all have the Saqui language, but only Maddie has ASL, American Sign Language. Right. So her world is even smaller. Right. So she's, language. like, super isolated compared to more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so like, what did we think of Roken? I love how they kind of casually slip. He's psychic. Right. What do they call it? Like knowing powers? knowing. Yeah, he's knowing. So I thought that was interesting. And I like how immediately he's like different from the other Sakui. He like, he sees Lila off on her own as like, he's like, oh, I like her, but he does not like resonate or anything. He just likes her. Yeah, he feels drawn to her. But yeah, I just like, it's it's mentioned. He's like, oh yeah, I have this knowing and everyone accepts it. It's like, people right. will just walk up and ask him. So what do you, how do you feel about this? Do you think, because the men, the young men who come with him on this party to get these women are like, can you sense if I'll resonate today or anything? <laughs> okay, so the knowing thing, I don't have a problem with like psychic powers and books or anything. The knowing thing was a little weird how it's just like this completely accepted thing. The only person who ever questions it is Lila. She does. Like, everyone else really is like, hard. it's totally cool. And Lila's like, no, what the hell are you even talking about? Well, because in the cave, when we get to it, even Kira's like, yeah, he is. He's sort of psychic. Kind of. Yeah. And she's like, girl, I don't even know what you're talking about. He is brother to like my favorite, Ahako. And then he has a little brother, Sessa, who I think plays a bigger role in the Ice Home series. Right. So, he comes along a lot later. Yeah. So there, I'm really glad she didn't overuse the knowing because I think it can get yeah. dangerous where he's like, or he didn't do something's coming like, well, of course we're going to be together because I could see it in the future. Like, or something's, I don't know. I'm glad it didn't get, it was just enough knowing. Just Yeah, enough, it was just like, kind of there and yeah. it played a, a big enough role later on. So Yes. Mm-hmm. So let's get into the discussion. So have you read book six? Did you read book six before getting into this one? No. So I have like no idea what really happened before. So basically, really the only thing that matters in relation to this one is so Josie and Hayden, the couple of that book, Josie like runs away from the tribe. She's like, I'm going to go do my own thing because I don't want to resonate to this sourpuss. And he follows her. And while they're out doing their thing, they discover another crashed ship where there's two more frozen women. And they're like, oh, we've got to tell everyone because we've got to get these women out of these pods. They don't take them out then because they don't have the supplies or like they don't have the fur or the food or anything. Right. They have to do the whole spot hunt. So they leave them there and they go back to the tribe. So that's sort of where we pick up where this like small party is going to to the ship to break them out. And so they have Kira there to be, I guess, the human ambassador. (laughs) And then so they go and get them out. And so that's where we pick up. And I love how like. I don't know, just how thirsty <laughs> Taoshin. Oh my gosh, so thirsty. He's like so ready to get him a human lady wife. It's- Which, I mean, makes sense in the books because, you know, there's only so many mates to go around, but they're like, I want to resonate right this second. Yes, well, it's it's every Sakui's, it's every Sakui's male's dream. Yes. So... 
And like he, so we've got a mixed group. We've got some mated men and then we've got some single men. And so it's like, it's really Taoshin, Beck, Hassan, and Rokan. Those are the four who are, I guess, up for grabs. There's probably a better way to say that. And Hassan is like immediately sketchy. <laughs> so we're going to get there because when they let him out, and, like, the women are cold and crying and upset. He's like, we got to get them a queen now. Like, we got to go to the <laughs> He's like, we don't care about feeding them. We just want a queen. I actually have a quote. I was like, so Hassan makes an impatient noise in his throat and jabs the end of his spear into the fire. Their teeth are clicking again. And it's like, <laughs> their teeth are chattering in the cold. And he's like, he's like, what the hell is with these women? So, yeah, he's a bit, he's a bit intense. Unnecessarily so. Yeah, a little bit. And that has to, like, they're so, I mean, Maddie is hardcore, like, um, back off, we're scared. And Lila's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. Well, that's somebody setting some boundaries because, and I because <laughs> they were a bit into, and I think actually at one point, Rahash and Hayden actually stand up and stand guard over the women. Yes. Like, over Lila and Maddie because the other four, well, the other three, Rokan is being a little bit more chill. They're just like being really intense about how much they want a woman. Well, and Rokan wants to like bring them food and like come over and like try to talk to them. And the other, and like the mated guys are like, um, no, back off. <laughs> yeah, because now you're giving the other ones ideas. Yes. So yeah, well, he kind of just wants to talk to Lila. He feels it's true. Yeah, he feels drawn to Lila from like jump. He's like, oh, the soft. So Lila is Lila is a bit smaller than her sister, and she's a brunette. And Maddie's, um, we get an idea that she's a bit sturdier, stockier, plumper, and she's blonde. So she's like, he's like, oh, the soft, fragile one. I'm drawn to her. <laughs> so yeah, so I want to talk about when we're in Lila's perspective and she sees the aliens and for like a very split moment, she asks if she's in hell. I know, which I love because I mean, they're blue and they have horns, right? So, I mean, I can see that perspective for sure. And like even Kira, I think looks really creepy because Kira has the blue eyes. Right. That's true. The blue glowing eyes. Which I always forget about. I all, that's the one thing I remember the men look weird, but I forget that the women now also look weird because they have these glowing eyes. True. And then the baby, well, I don't, there's no babies in the cave. I mean, the other, the babies that they have between the humans and the Sakui, like they have to have, what is it like pale blue skin and the glowing eyes? I was going to ask, how do you picture the babies? Because I can't get, are they like just like regular human babies with like little horns that are blue? Are they more alien-like? Like I haven't got them in my head yet. I picture, a, oh, I picture pale blue, glowing eyes, like, I don't know, like little little horns, like bumps on the head. I need to Google and find some good <laughs> images because. Oh, well, I can tell totally- you. Oh God, I know exactly what you're going to say book covers are just photoshopped blue baby photos <laughs> just like infants that are just and I'm fine with it because again how yeah like, that's a lot that's that's a lot to do right there yeah so let's just paint a baby blue I get <laughs> but I've always wondered because like all the women also have different hair but the Sakui all have dark black hair so like whose hair are they getting like Harlow is a redhead so is there a blue baby with red hair running around. Yeah, the DNA complexities of this is fascinating to me. <laughs> the scientific. Right. I need details. <laughs> a D, uh, 23 in me. Yes. 
<laughs> for Ice Planet Barbarians. I just love it. And then I think at some point there's so many baby later in the series, there's so many kids that there's like a little school set up. And oh I, my I, gosh. That's amazing. I kind of want a series on that too, because she'll throw in like little scenes with the kids and they're all kind of sassy, like adorably sassy. It's great. Like it's really fun. I wonder if she'll do a generations, like like Degrassi. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. That's hilarious. And I can totally see that. I want a generations where it's the kids of the, like these Sakwi human hybrids now forming relations and resonating. Oh my gosh. But yeah, they're going to need a lot more like crash landings yeah. or something because yeah, it's going to be a lot. Yeah. We got to have some more babies so we don't have a popular. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so, so they're in this cave, they're cold. They need their qui. Yeah. So they decide they have to get them out and could do a Sakat's hunt and get them qui. And like every time she describes the Sakat's heart surrounded by all the worms, I get a little squee. Yeah, yeah. I just I cannot with that. It always grosses me out. Um, so oh, I almost missed up. Rukan has this really sweet line because he talks about how Beck has had, you know, pleasure mates before and Taushin hasn't. And so basically he hasn't either. So he's sort of like new to the whole romance and he's not interested in the women because he's only interested in resonance. And he says this line, I want resonance and resonance only. When I take a female into my arms, I want it to be forever. And it's like, it's kind of sweet. It is sweet. He is, a, I think he is one of the sweetest out of all of them. Yeah. Which this is going to be a controversial opinion. Maybe why he's not one of my favorites. <laughs> because as big of a jackass as Hassan is, he's kind of more interesting to read about when you get into his story. <laughs> he's like, That's so. funny because I'm all about the sweet male ma- main characters. So <laughs> I am too. I just think I'm like Rook, like Rook, and he's like so. Singular minded. I don't know. And maybe that's, that's true. He is. I did read his. So yeah, he's a good hero too. Yes. He's, I'm not hating on Rokan. He's very sweet. I just compared to like some of the other crazy ones we've met, like he's a little bit more chill and maybe, you know what? That's fine. We all have. <laughs> that's why I like this series though, too. Cause like you'll find your. There's so much for everybody in the series. Yes. You'll find your flavor. You'll find your variety. So, so they head out for the hunt <laughs> And because there is this constant threat of, of people being snatched up by, what do they call them, sky claws? Sky claws. What do you think of the sky claws? They are scary as hell. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, I think of, like, pterodactyls, like, flying around in the sky and just picking people off. That's what I picture. Have you seen Jurassic World? Yes. Have you seen it yes. at the amusement park? Oh, yeah. Like, that is what I picture. And all I can think of is, like, this, like, barren ice land and nowhere to hide. And it sounds terrifying. Well, and they come out. And, like, before they find the women, when they approach the ship, all these sky claws claws are, like, like crash diving into the ship. I guess they're confused by there's, like, an emergency beacon on the ship. And they're, like, dive bombing into it and killing themselves. That doesn't really get touched on. It's just a really weird scene. (laughs) Just breezes right past it. Yeah. Do do you remember that? Did I make that up? Or did that, like, is that what was happening, I think? No, I thought that's what happened. Yeah. And I'm like, it doesn't come back. The men keep calling it fire. That sometimes throws me off, too. 
Yeah, some of the things are confusing if you don't know, like when they talk about the elder cave and it's not really a cave. So if you don't yeah. know what they're referring to, it can be a little confusing. Yeah, I love, I both love and hate that. I love it as a writer because I think it's really cool that like she's getting in and she's like, yeah, this is how these Stone Age men would refer to things like metal and a spaceship and a light. Right. They would call it fire and stone in a cave but it's really confusing as a reader yeah like, what the hell is he talking about unless you're like reading from the beginning and then you're like you catch on yeah mm-hmm. and i did not catch on right away <laughs> um but yeah so they're going out to go on the sakats hunt and because they're, they're afraid of a sky claw just swooping down and snatching somebody up they tie the women each woman is like tied to a sakwi man like tied to a hunter right I guess the theory is if they grab one, I don't really get what their logic is. It sounds like you're just giving the sky claw an extra snack. Yeah, I got confused because like if you grab one, I just imagine like, I don't know, like you grab, it's like popcorn on a string. Yeah. Like I imagine like on a Christmas tree, you grab, I don't know, you just kind of fall like dominoes. It didn't yeah. make sense to me. I guess the thinking is they're so much heavier that they'll like be some ballast to kill the women Maybe, down. I don't know. I'm not seeing it. I'm just seeing like the, the sky claws getting a two for one deal. Yeah. <laughs> so they walk out and Lila's freaking out because she gets tied to Hassan, who very purposefully makes sure he gets tied to Lila. He has yeah. her, his eyes on her from day one. He very goes, like, creepy. Yeah. He goes like the soft one is mine. <laughs> which It's so, it just the way he says it. Mm hmm. He gets, he's kind of possessive about it, which also irks Rokan. He doesn't know why yet. He'll figure it out. <laughs> so so they walk out, and they get, they get on without incident. No sky claws, no pterodactyls, and they get the Sakats hunt. And so as we know, every time you get a queen, it sort of knocks you unconscious for a bit, which, I don't know, makes the whole thing even scarier. So the women get their queen, and they pass out. Something Does something happen to distract them? Like, because they look back and Lila and Hassan are gone. Yeah, I feel like one of the men got attacked and then they were, like, trying to rescue him from the um, pterodactyl or whatever, or a metlac. It was. It was a metlac. He got bitten. Oh, no, it was a sky claw. I can't remember. They confused me. (laughs) Yeah, and so then um, they were distracted with that. And then when Rokan looked back, she was gone. And so was Hassan. Yes. And he's like, that's what my knowing was trying to warn me about. Because he's had a weird feeling all morning. Right. And so, like, as intuitive as he is, it seems like even he can't, it's like a raven, that's a raven thing. Like, he gets a scene of what's (laughs) happening, but no context. Right. So, I mean, his knowing feeling is, like, very shady to me. He just gets, like, a weird feeling, not actual knowing a spidey sense, I guess. Right, right. <laughs> Danger is happening. I can't tell you what it is. Just no details. Be on the lookout. Yeah. So Hassan takes Lila and he like spirits her away and they go off into the cave and <laughs> they spend a few days looking for her, but eventually they have to go back. And this provides possibly the funniest scene I think in this whole book is it's a few days after Hassan has taken Lila and they're in a cave looking for, for them both. And they have to explain <laughs> to Maddie why Hassan did this, which means they have to explain what resonance is. <laughs> yes, that is a great scene. 
<laughs> so like the whole, I, I guess I get it. Like you wake up, they could have told her that before she accepted the, I mean, she didn't have a choice, but I would like to know this is also going to give you an alien boyfriend. <laughs> Which is really hard concept to understand. It really is. Like, what is your opinion about the whole like resonating thing? How would you feel? <laughs> It's really hard concept to understand like that it picks the most appropriate, like the person who's going to give you the the best chance of like survival for your, your kids. Mm-hmm. And like, that's basically the essence of like any faded mates in mm-hmm. like any paranormal or fantasy, but it's just, it's real, it's real weird. <laughs> I think, I think the term faded mate is used exactly. They're like, yep, that's what this is. Right, right. And I, I have no problem with it because I read a lot of paranormal and fantasy <laughs> and I'm like, sold, I get it, I'm into it. But like, it is weird. On their end, I get it. And like, so she's having this freak out. She goes this line, like, because she's upset that they didn't tell her about this first. And she's like, I just found out we're on Popsicle Planet with Captain Horny and the Harry Palm crew. <laughs> and you didn't bother to tell me that I get an assigned playmate. <laughs> like, and I think someone else, I think it's like Rahash or Hayden. He goes like, Maddie, it's a good name. She's always mad. <laughs> <laughs> There's that cave scene. It's probably like my favorite scene in the whole book because the dialogue, the funny dialogue it's just really on point. Like everyone's annoyed with each other. Right. Rahash and Hayden just want to go home. Kira and Haka just want to go home. Tashin's pissed because he didn't resonate. (laughs) And so it's just really funny. That whole scene, I guess it's like, what do you say to someone when they ask that? Cause she asks, she tries to get Rokan to explain and he goes straight for the babies. He's like, the queen gives, residence gives you babies. She's like, that's too, and Kira's like, that's too much. You can't drop all that on them. <laughs> that's too much. <laughs> I mean, she's right. But you, you can't just, you can't lead with that. So they decide to head out because they've been looking for her for days and they can't find them because they're like off in the snow and like it's, they're off in the snow. I mean, because snows. this planet is just like barren ice and snow, I mean, and just all these caves. So yeah. where you're just, they're just looking in like every single cave. Basically. They also hint that this is the summer season. Right, right. And the winter season, which is, you know, hell, is yet to come. Yes, the brutal season. Right. <laughs> I just love it. It's like, yeah, this is the, this is the garden. This is the, we're at the, they're actually, I think they learned they at, they're at the equator. So this is oh, as yeah, warm yeah, yeah. as it gets on the ice planet. So they go back and like Maddie's throwing a fit the entire way. I kind of really liked Maddie in this book. Like she gets a little insecure towards the end of it, which leads into her issues. But she's like not here for the bullshit. I'm like, thank you. I like Maddie in this book because, I mean, her sister disappears. I would be like, what the fuck is happening? I would be scared and I would be pissed and I would understand why she was mad that whole time. Yes. Yeah. So and then and then they go back and leave her out there. Right. She's right. Like, we need to go back and get my sister. So they go back to the tribe and Rokan gets back home and he turns around and heads back out almost immediately because he feels his knowing tells him. He will be the one to find her. Yes. And he tells this to Taoshin. And Taoshin's like supremely bummed about this because he, <laughs> he was still clinging on to hope. So we're getting out there. 
we go to Lila's view and she's here with Hassan. She doesn't, we have to remember, she doesn't know about resonance at all. At all. And so she's wondering, she's in this cave. She wakes up, Hassan's there. He's smiling at her. He's bringing her food and water. And she's so angry and like, what the hell is happening? Exactly. And he's looking at her like expectantly, like, eh, eh. (laughs) She's not getting it. And they can't communicate because no. she's deaf and he's like, why isn't she communicating with me? Mm-hmm. And so it's just extremely awkward. She, she takes his food and his water. She's like, well, I got to keep up my strength. But like when he comes to her, she sort of cringes away. She cries a lot. There's like a whole breakdown scene when she first wakes up and she's like screaming for Maddie. And, and I like, know I said that she annoyed me, but actually in the cave here, I really liked her because I was like, yes, because she the whole time was super mad at him and did not like try to give into him in terms of like befriend her captor or whatever. She was just right. like, no, I hate you. Right. And as we talk about it, I'm kind of glad that Ruby Dixon included one of these kidnapping scenes that doesn't work because so right. far in the series every time a man kidnaps a woman like it works out and that's why he got this idea that's a good point that i'm glad she included that because this did not work out in his favor at all (laughs) he lost he gambled and lost badly so and he's it's really kind of you really kind of feel for him like i mean not really like it was a bad move on his part not a smart move but you kind of feel like you know the stuff we don't have like evil intentions he just wants like a wife and he's like if i get her alone with me and she sees how good of a provider i am she'll resonate to me and later on you you see like from a little bit from his point of view of how bad he feels and i feel a little bit okay with him but at this moment i do not (laughs) no no it's it's a it's a douchebag move sir you you yes so it gets really awkward. I cannot figure out the timing. I think they're there for like a week. Yeah, I'm not clear because they the other people have to like take Maddie back to the village and then Rokan has to come back for her. So I'm not clear. It's at least a week. I'm not sure. The timing of the whole book is I'm also not sure how long he and Lila are out. Yeah. Around in the snow because they're out and away from the cave for a good long time. Yeah, a very long time. It's The timing is confusing to me. I'm going to go ahead and say, like, it's about two or three weeks. Longer than that. Because sometimes she talks about how, like, they go to go to the Elder Cave, and it takes them, like, five days just to walk. Oh, they were at the Elder Cave Cave for quite a while. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a good span of time, which is actually an issue with the whole series. I think this book picks up, like, at least two or three years after the first one. But it kind of doesn't feel like it because we kind of fly through time so fast. Yeah, I get confused with timing with the yeah. with the whole series. But again, I suspend my disbelief when I read yeah. these books so much. It doesn't even bother me. Yeah. Oh, there are other things you have to. <laughs> I'm like, whatevs, it works. <laughs> like, yeah, the timing is the least strange yes. thing. The aliens and the worms and the ice planet ask such a big, big <laughs> ask for you to suspend belief that the timing is like, you know what? I'm fine with it. Yep. But sometimes when I try to just to put a timeline on how long things have been going on, I get a little fuzzy and then I realize it really doesn't matter. <laughs> so it really doesn't. So, but she's with him for a while. And then she, this is, I think, the start of like the new Lila because she's like, I'm not staying here. And she starts sneaking away food and sneaking away fur. And she's like, I'm going to run away. And it's right. like, she plans for like a good 
we don't know time, so I'm not. Right. I don't know why I immediately went to time, but she plans for a good long time on how to make her escape away from Hassan. Hassan. That is. That's a good point. That feels like the beginning of the new Lila. She starts to plot and think about these things. Yeah, and so she sneaks away and she runs away from the cave, and she does not get very far. Before is it an avalanche or does she just fall? I think she just falls, and then is that when? The Metlek? Yes. Grabs her by the foot and drags her to his cave. Okay. And I found the Metlak in this book really interesting because is this the first time in these books that she introduced anything to do with Metlaks being more than just animals? I think so. Because I know in later books it comes up again, but I mm-hmm. feel like this is the first time, and I just found it super interesting. I thought it was really interesting. Like, we learned they live in colonies. They seem to use hand signals. Like, we get a lot. I And I was super intrigued because— I was just like, oh, that's super interesting. And he, obvi- the Metlack, I mean, was super like into Lila and obviously took to her. <laughs> like, I was like, what is going on? I, I, I like that she introduced different um, like creatures on this planet being more than just animals. Yeah, because the Saqui kind of view them all as just, they're, they're dumb. They're dumb, savage beasts who, who are really violent and uncontrollable and unpredictable. So they don't even bother interacting with them outside of like fighting them off right and the humans are the ones who start to be like wait i think that there's more going on here lila being the first one and i just thought that was really interesting yeah well it really was and i think because i was thinking about well like they must resonate too because they have the same qui so i'm wondering if she fall in with one resonance (laughs) kidnapper and just to land with another because he's trying to like woo her. He brings her like oh, fruit. Yeah. He brings her roots. He brings her a piece of intestine, which And she's like, um, what the hell? She's smart enough to know not to accept his gifts. Yes. <laughs> like, good call, Lila, because that'll probably form some kind of contract you do not want to enter into. Yes. So while she's there though, Rokan or Rokan, I keep mispronouncing everyone's names. It happens. Yes. I sort of embraced it. Like, who knows what word's going to come out of my mouth. Rokan <laughs> is out looking for her when he kind of like, I don't know if his knowing leads him there. We're not really told, but he kind of finds her in this Metlat cave and he resonates to her immediately. And even he kind of comments like, well, the timing is shit, but yeah, resonates. <laughs> this is cool. I found my mate. Yeah. She doesn't have any idea what's going on. She thinks her heart is beating really fast. She goes like, I don't know what's going on. My heart isn't paying attention. It's beating so loud. My chest is actively, practically vibrating. And he's like, oh, there's my mate. And so it's really funny. I think the human's reaction to resonance when they don't, into, before they know what is going on, is super weird because a lot of them are like, oh, I'm purring. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. If I started purring, I would be like, what the hell is happening? And I know they're on an alien planet, so they have other stuff going on. But what the hell? Like, I would be like, what is going on? Other things happening. And also, like, sometimes they confuse it with their pulse. So what, I wonder what it, because she thought it was her heartbeat for a while. She's like, my heart is beating so fast. It's practically vibrating out of its chest. I would be concerned about some kind of cardiac incident. Like, right. And they, are, they always, <laughs> like they talk about it purring or like heart or I don't know. And then they talk about how they can hear it. And so to me, it sounds like, you know, a cat purring very loudly. 
which I get. I have cat. I don't know. It just, it's confusing to me. It's just really funny. I love it. And I do like how she uses resonance. I think, I think it's really interesting when she plays like with the timing of resonance. Like in some books, it happens right away and they have to learn to like each other. Other books, they like each other and then it happens. Right. Residence. It's like different with plays. all of them. Mm-hmm. I like how she plays with it. In this one, it happens like they're drawn to each other and then it happens, but only one knows what's going on. And I'm like, ooh, that's fun. Like she's like the more I dig into this, the more I'm like, Ruby Dixon's really she's really smart with how she uses these plot devices. And she plays them and she plays with how each person deals with it. I just think it I think all of it is super interesting the more you read them. Mm-hmm. And so, so in this one, I just really love it. Cause like, he's like, oh my, he starts calling her his mate from here on out. And she's like, what is happening? She calls him her alien boyfriend. Which, okay. That phrase is used so many times in this book. And I listened to this book. And so to hear that phrase over and over again, I was like, okay, <laughs> that's enough. <laughs> I do like the line later when she learns what residence is. She's like, I thought was his alien girlfriend and it turns out I'm his alien wife yes and she has a moment of like uh I don't know so so he has to get her out of his cave and it's a full-on action scene because we know the Metlecks are afraid of fire so his first thought is to immediately set the cave on fire not not so drastically but close (laughs) he shoots flaming arrows he is sort of aware that she's still down there I still feel like this is a risky maneuver. <laughs> Very. <laughs> like, couldn't he have just gotten a torch and, like, jumped in and, like, kind of waved it around? Like, <laughs> You would think. <laughs> he goes full on, I'm going to shoot flying arrows. I mean, I kind of loved it. It made for some great, that was a good action scene. It was. It was a, a great rescue. Because then he jumps down, grabs her up, and then <laughs> they swing out of the cave. And it's, like, pretty intense. So he flies in. She He hauls him up on her back, and she, they, like, climb out. And so now I'm trying to figure out why they decide not to immediately go back. Oh, they have to get Hassan. That's why they decide not to immediately go back. So they make camp, and because Hassan is still out there looking for her, he sort of tries to explain to her that they're going to get Hassan. They've got to wait for Hassan before they go back to the tribal cave because right. he's still out there. So they do. And, like, they could have hang out, and they learn to talk and sign a little bit. I bet you it's really cute. They have, like, he has this really cute scene because he keeps looking at her, and he's like, oh, she's my mate. He's, like, really, he sounds like a little, like, love-struck teenager. It's adorable. He's, he's like, I, he watches her sleep for not a creepily long time. Like, when she turns away, he's like, okay, I got to go. <laughs> we got to get the cave in order. But he does sit there and watch her sleep, and it's sort of cute. And so for the longest time, she's been calling him by the wrong name but I'm fine with it. It's again, like Ruby Dixon's really good at showing the different perspectives. Like she calls him Rodan. Yeah. I really like that when you switch from the POV, I feel like it's really important in these books to get both of them. Do you feel like we get enough of the male? Because I tend to like the male perspective more because it's so interesting. I don't see. I like, I like just getting both of them. I never notice how much of one I'm getting though. Do you have a preference for one? I always like the female better. <laughs> it's always my preference. <laughs> I just like, because the male one is usually so alien. 
like oh that's week. true I just mean in general with all books females mm-hmm. are oh. always my preference mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because like they're so like they're so besotted with their women usually and they're like so like oh I have to protect her and I'm so strong I'm like yes give me that shit I'm here that's, that's what I'm- true I can shoot that directly into my veins. What I did like about his perspective, though, was I love how he was just like here for everything about her being deaf and trying to um, understand her signs. I just thought seeing that from his perspective was like, I loved everything about that. I just think that was super cute of him. Um, And I love that Ruby Dixon incorporated that so easily. I just thought that was really good. Yeah, let's talk about that. Like, he is so, he's, like, right on board. Like, well, if she can't speak, I'm going to go and get the language. He calls it the hand talk. He's like, I'm going to go and get the hand talk so I can speak with her. He does yeah, not hesitate. He's so frustrated that he can't understand her, but he never once thinks there's something wrong with her. He's think, mm-hmm. He thinks there's something wrong with him. And I just really like that from, like, the second it happens. Like, she never wants, like, Ruby Dixon never wants, like, puts that on page that there's anything wrong with Lila. Right. And I just thought that was the greatest thing. And like soon when they go back to Hassan and he's like, well, she can't communicate or whatever. I don't remember exactly what he says. And Rokan is like, "Um, yeah, that's nothing wrong with her. That's like our problem. Like I just loved everything about that. Right. I'm trying to figure out when they get to that part, but I feel like, Oh no, I can't remember if that's, we're going to hit to the Spurs scene soon. And I can't remember if that's before or after the Spurs scene. (laughs) It's real close. It's like right before or right after. But so I just really love that he was just like, you know, that's, this is a failing on our part that we can't understand her. Like Lila's perfect. I just thought that was like everything. Yeah. Cause they spend a few days. He learns some of her signs and they're able eventually to very slowly figure out how to communicate. It's like a mix because she can read lips, but it's more difficult with the aliens because they're, they have fangs, they slur the English words. They don't pronounce things properly. Right. So sometimes she'll walk up and like touch his mouth. There's actually a really good scene because she's been calling him by the wrong name. So he like says his name over and over again and she touches his lips and it's like, it's really doing it for him. And she's like, she finally gets bro can. Yeah, it's, it's super. Yeah, I was like, yeah, I loved it. I'm going to see, like, if I could find, if I had taken better notes, I would have. And, like, they they meet up with Hassan and he, they're basically like, you know, go back to the, our people and tell them we're going to go get the, um, to the elder cave and it's either right before that or right after that when the spur scene happens. Oh yes. Yeah. But before that, they just, they meet up with Hassan because that was their whole goal. And he explains to her. So she doesn't get it confused that she's not, she's not going back with him. They just have to get him out. So he's not looking at the snows and send him back home. And Hassan is sort of like, he takes it like a champ or Hassan. Yeah. I'm going to keep messing up his name. Yeah, he takes same. it like a champ and he's like, Oh, you congratulations, my friend. You truly run out. And like, he's, he's kind of pathetic and you do feel a tad for him. Yeah. That's the scene where I was, I, I did actually feel for him where I was like, okay, that makes me a little sad for him. <laughs> Cause he's like, he's like devastated, like shoulders down. He's just saying like, I just really want a mate. And he talks about how, how hurt he is that she hated being with him so much that she ran out into the cold and snow, almost her death just to get away from him. Yeah. So 
Oh yeah, you're right. So they do. You're right. They do the spur before that, actually. <laughs> so before they reach Hassan, they spend a few time. They spend some time together. They're both sort of like amped up. She's horny. He's horny. He knows why he's horny. She has no idea why <laughs> she's horny. <laughs> and so they start like, you know, messing around, and eventually she's like feeling him up and going to third base when she feels something. <laughs> you can almost hear the record scratch. It, okay. Like, okay. So first I have two quotes from the scene because it made me laugh so hard. So he had like gotten hurt, like with a metlock or something during this. And so right after that is when they first started, she first started like exploring him and she was like, are you hurt? And he was like, my cock hurts the most and this cannot be ignored. <laughs> and I was dying because it was just the way he said it so earnestly. So matter of fact. And, yes. And then she was like, well, can I, you know, check out the goods? And she was like, I need to check to see if you have things I may not have holes for. <laughs> and I was laughing so hard. It, it just, it was the best. It made me laugh so hard. I loved it. That's right. Cause yeah. Cause like they're getting hot and heavy and like, that's what throws her off. And like, he doesn't pick up that she's like freaking out and she's like, Dude, I need to, sir, I need to see. Can I see you? Can I see all of you? And so she takes off his breech cloth. And her first thought is like, that's a lot of dick. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, um, I don't even know. I swear, every time they sort of describe the spur, I find some new detail to get stuck on. <laughs> well, because there's just a lot of information. It really is. Because she sort of describes this one. She says it's, she says it's, Unhuman, inhuman and out of place, which obviously, and it's like, he's got this really huge dick and then it's like this coat rack thing hanging off right above it. And like everybody, I have to stop and talk about it because every time I read about it again, I got to deal with it. Yeah. I, it's, I don't know. I have a hard time envisioning it. At first, the first time I read it, it was compared to a human pinky. And it's gotten a little bigger this time because now she says it's the size of, like, one of her fingers. So I'm thinking, okay, maybe not a pinky, like an index finger. Still still weirdly in proportion if his, his dick is the size of a water bottle. But, like, where is it on the dick? It's, like, right above it, right? It has to be if it's, like, stimulating. Oh, yeah, duh. Okay. <laughs> I realize that, right? Yeah. So she describes it as a big blunt horn. And it's like, and she touches it and he like reacts immediately. So it also has to be extra sensitive. Super sensitive. <laughs> I imagine, I basically imagine it like a super large clit. <laughs> I mean. I that's what it has to be. I did, That's how I picture it, except on a dick. I don't know. I, I had another conversation with somebody where they tried to do like anatomically on a human, what on a human male, what is the similar what is the spur similar to? And like that, that broke my brain. Cause I'm like, I can't, I have I can't nothing. I have no answer to that. She's right. It's so inhuman. And it's so, we learn eventually like what it's biological purpose is for, because if the Sakwi women don't have clitorises, why is it there? So we learn that eventually, but it's still just like, I love how every woman is just taken aback by. Yes. But then but, they get super on board with it super quickly, oh which yeah, is the they, best part about it. They get hashtag team spur like immediately. Exactly. There is also a comment um, before that 
before she like asks him to strip when they're still touching each other up where she says, um, so she's, they're kissing and they're working and she like starts touching him and he's reacting. And she has this quote where she says, it feels naughty and utterly powerful to think about taking charge like this. But now that the idea is in my head, I can't let it go. And I think like, that's again, like when I really look and I can get really literal, like that's again, her coming into her own and like getting out of this whole timid, crying, dependent Lila we met at the beginning of the book. I, Even if it's just a hand job. I'm like, I'm here for it. No, she's totally here for it too, because that's her like taking control of the situation and realizing that she has empowerment to do basically a lot in this situation. Mm-hmm. And so, and again, and it's him that does it for. Her. So, so they sort of go out. She, I can't, does he, does she give him a blowjob or does she just sort of like touch it? I think there's because they do a lot of like really heavy petting. They don't fulfill resonance until the very end of the book. Right. They do a lot of really heavy petting. I feel like there's a blowjob. I'm not sure if it's here or a little bit later because they do a lot of heavy petting. <laughs> yes. It sort of blurs. You don't know which it does. is it at what time. So like, oh, yeah, because um she gives him a hand job and because like. And no, he goes down on her in this scene and then she gives him a hand job because there's the scene where he like bites into her shoulder. And I'm like, he's better be careful because he has wings. Yeah. And if these men are as big and strong as they say they are, he could accidentally do some damage. Yes. Like, I don't really trust them right away with the with the sexy nipping. Like, they got to <laughs> learn. We got to figure out their strength. Yes. So they're having a good day. They run into Hassan. They send him on his way and he tries to tell her. Because she thinks, okay, now I go back and see my sister. But he's like, let's go to this cave. And he, he has to mime it out where he's like, well, I'll get your hand speak. I'll get your language. So that's what they decide to do. And so as they're doing this, he takes it on himself to also sort of teach her how to survive on the planet. But what I love so much about that is that Lila is the one who asks him to do that. But she. Yeah. Yeah, she is the one who is like, I don't want to be so vulnerable. I want to learn survival. And he is like, yes, that's amazing, immediately. And I love that so much because I feel like sometimes the male main characters would be like, no, I will take care of you. Yes. Well, that's a lot of these characters are. Mm -hmm. Right. And he is just like, I think she suggested Literally the next sentence was him like, yes, awesome. Let's, let's go. I'll teach you. And I just was like, here for it. I just thought that was great. Because mm-hmm. he sort of has this fear because he's like, without her being able to hear, she's a little bit more vulnerable to like right. predators and weather things. So he's like, she has to, in case we get separated, I want her to be able to survive. Right. I just thought that was great. Yeah. So it's really, it's really he, it sounds like he makes her work. He's like, yeah. she has to, she has to put the fire. He makes her put up the try, the tripod for the water. Cause he's like, my instinct screams at me to do it for her, but she wants to do this. So I'm going to let her do it. I'm like, look at you, Rokan. Like, yeah, it was, I thought that was great that they, they were both on board for that. So they get to this cave and they do a lot of like, you know, more sexing up in the meantime. I really kind of like it when they like, I like the heavy petty scenes, I think a lot more than the penetrative sex scenes. Cause I think she gets more creative with them. Right. And there's so much to be creative with the alien. <laughs> I mean, you have tails, you have spurs, there's a whole bunch of stuff. 
I forgot about the tail. Right? They're, the tails are interesting, too, because they're super sensitive. And I forget that because they do different things. Like, sometimes they use them as, like, appendages, and then other times they're, like, sex organs. Yes. I just I just read a different Ruby Dixon last night, and in it, like, the one was, like, biting in the tail, like, all <laughs> sexy-like. And I was like, what? I mean, so there's a whole bunch of things you can do with it. So they go onto the computer, they go onto the ship, and Rokan tries to get this computer to zap his brain with the ASL. And they have a few struggles. Because first of all, Rokan doesn't really know how to talk to a computer. Oh my god, I really loved that scene. (laughs) It was so... Like, Lila's so frustrated because she has no idea what's happening because she's (laughs) deaf. Yeah. But Rokan's trying to talk to the computer, and Lila's like, who are you talking to? Yeah, are you talking to me? Like, what's happening? Yeah. And he's just talking to the computer, and the computer is like, what are you even talking about? I don't know. Right, because he keeps asking it to teach him hand speak, and it's like, we don't know what, 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 it doesn't know what to do with that. And then eventually, he somehow stumbles his way, because he keeps saying, my mate cannot hear, my mate cannot hear. And it's like, he somehow stumbles his way into getting the computer to provide, like, a visual terminal, or like a, a screen. So, like, it pops up, and Lila can see it. And she's like, oh, a computer's here. And she asked him to get the computer to do English. So she's working now. She's got it. But the computer doesn't know ASL. So she's got to, she spends like, what, three days? Maybe more teaching the computer. I was really impressed with the way that that was even, like, dealt with. Because I was like, wow, that seems like a lot of work. (laughs) It really does. She doesn't have to do all the words. She, like, tells us, like, well, I don't need to teach him how to say turkey. (laughs) Right. But I just thought was funny. And, like, Rokan is just, like, kind of being cool in the background. When she needs water, he makes sure her water skin is full. She gets food. He'll hunt. When she's working too hard, he'll, like, scoop her up and put her into bed. It's like, look at you being a little house husband. Yes, he's like, I love that she, you know, is so smart that she was able to fix this problem all on her own. Oh, I know. She's the smartest thing to yes. after that moment. And it's like really endearing. She's like, oh, she's so clever and so smart. And he just goes about doing his own thing. Um, and so eventually he she gets it loaded up and he gets zapped in the eye and it knocks him out. And she freaks out because she doesn't know if that's what's supposed to happen. But she learned it does. So then she's on her own for a few hours. And, and again, we see new Lila, new resourceful, diligent Lila, she like lays him out. She's like, well, okay, let's stay busy. So I don't sit here panicking about how alone I am. And she gets the fire going and she makes some tea. And it's like, look at Lila, like really good character development. Yeah. She just manages everything on her own and just takes care of herself and him during that time. Yeah. It's only like a few hours, I think, but then they get up and I have to read this because, um, I'm trying to see where it is. He I have that up. exact same quote. I know it. It's the best. <laughs> and so right when he comes to, the first thing he signs is, you are perfect. I would change nothing about you. And I'm glad that you are mine. I have waited many days to say that to you. And I was like, oh my gosh. I melted. I was just like, um, I love everything about that quote. It's just so sweet. Like, that's like, what's to say about it it's just so endearing that he like it's been wanting to talk to her for days just to say that and she's like oh my god like he is the best because he doesn't think that she needs to change anything 
Yeah, just the whole thing is just so sweet. She almost cries, I think, or maybe she yes. does, like tears. So it's really endearing. She's kind of into her feelings. He's way into his. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's never any doubt. So then he sits down and explains resonance to her. <laughs> and <laughs> what did you think of that whole, her whole little conundrum after she learns what resonance is? She's like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. I mean, it's a lot to try to take in. <laughs> I mean, they just went through all of that to even communicate to each other. And then she's basically like, um, so you're telling me that our feelings for each other are just because of this parasite, basically. Yeah. So, I mean, I loved it because she's saying what, I don't know, I think every human person would say. I, yeah, I think every human character in the book so far has to have this, like, this moment like you know how like existential crisis i guess where they realize that this worm has pretty much had a major say in a a major decision of their life and like they all have this little minute freak out about it yeah she unfortunately had hers after she resonated to the guy and after she started (laughs) developing feelings for him yes i think if she had learned all that beforehand it wouldn't have caused her as much of a crisis true because now she doesn't even trust her own feelings toward him she's like do I love you or is the worm telling me I love you? And he's like, it's, it's both. At least that's what she's like, wait, I don't understand how to like separate those two things. And he's like, you can't, you shouldn't. They're both. He's like, his argument is my cute, my coup would have never resonated for you if you weren't perfect for me. So of course you love me. You were mine. And like, well, he, like how he does he even see the problem? How do you wrap your brain around that? <laughs> it's really funny because like, you really see like how big of a, cultural cultural oh my gosh but i think of a shift it is for both of them like he doesn't understand why she that she doesn't understand what resonance is like it's he really has to take a step back and she doesn't understand how he can so easily just accept it right it's super complicated yeah and so it's just really funny so they both have this and so she sort of like asks for space like it's a very it's not you it's me right she's like I need a few days to think about and she gets mad at him and I feel like it's not really his fault you don't no really reason to be mad at him about it but I do get maybe wanting to take a step back so the next morning she sort of wakes up and she's like she comes to this decision that she's gonna um she wants some space and she wants to just what did she say she has a little freak out sorry she has a quote because she like wakes up the next day and she comes to a decision and she's like I know you think what we have is real, but I am not convinced. I need time to think about whether or not this is, it's me that's attracted to you or whether it's the queen. And so she's like basically asking for space and he's like, okay, but you're just going to want me more and more. And he (laughs) has to at one point be like, I'm not being arrogant. That's just how this works. (laughs) Which is such the wrong thing to say. And I, well, she learns because eventually she says multiple times. She says multiple times. She was like, Rokan was right. (laughs) It just gets worse. So I don't, it's, it's so funny. Which like, how would you react? Honestly. To being told that I have a. Like your alien boyfriend who you thought you loved for him was actually just because of this worm vibrating in your chest. Oh my God. I would be like, <laughs> what the hell are you even talking? I would need space. I would need time. And then I'd be pissed that he was right. I would be so <laughs> mad. <laughs> yeah. Like, I- it's so even, it's even worse that he's right. 
And it's like, and I mean, like, and he's not trying to be a dick about it. He's like, no, that's even worse though, because he's so level-headed about it. I mean, that makes me, that would make me even madder. I kind of got annoyed with her for a bit that she was like, I'm like, look, it's, it seems like a silly thing to like quibble over. Like, is it the worm or is it me? I'm like, well, the worm sort of is you, but I guess I could, it's just her being mad that a decision has been taken away from her. Yeah, I mean, she has been, like, on this great character development, and then, like, she's, like, empowered, and then, like, this huge decision gets taken away from her. I, yeah, I can totally see it. Mm -hmm. So he's very respectful about it. He gives her her space, and she sort of finds herself missing him, because, like, he doesn't give her the little kisses he was giving her. He doesn't hug her. When he ties her, when he bundles her up in her furs, he doesn't, you know, do all the lovey-dovey stuff he used to do. And so I was like, I'd be like, well, there's your answer, Lila. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's pretty funny. Yeah. So let's talk about the big, the big plot thing that happens at this point. So they wake up one morning and Rokan decides we're not going out today. (laughs) And she's like, why? He's like, I I don't like the weather. I'm, I'm concerned. I don't like how the weather feels. My knowing tells me the weather is bad. And so she looks out the cave and she's like, this is the prettiest it's been since I've been on this planet. The sun is out. The sky is clear. What's going on? He's like, no, no, no. And so she eventually sort of convinces him to go out and check there. Because she's like, well, we don't want to waste all that meat in the traps we set yesterday. So she gets them to go out. And they're out for like a good long time when... It's an avalanche, right? Like right, a massive down. avalanche. Like yeah. the snow just like gives way underneath their feet. Exactly. And there's this like we he knows it's going to happen cuz he sort of pushes her against this cave wall and like shelters her in his arms and says, oh. "Just know that you have my heart." I'm like, "Oh my gosh." I know, seriously, again, I was just like, "Oh my god, I love you." <laughs> I mean, I just want to say as sexy and as fun as these books are, I think my favorite thing about them is when they have these big, these big, like, emotional declarations. Right. Of, like, of, like, when the men do these things, because it's just so, like, straight sugar. I could eat it up. Yes. It's so, that scene, I was just like, oh, my God. And he, like, pushes her out of the way, and she's like, what is even going on? Because, again, she's deaf. She can't even hear, like, the avalanche coming. So... Mm-hmm. She I mean, feels it, I think. Right, yeah. She, But she's confused because I think she thinks it's her resonance again, mm-hmm. like her purring or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it happens, and she's like, holy shit, what's going on? Yeah. And so he shelters her in, and, like, they get just surrounded by the snow. And he's like, I can hear her screaming. She's like, as long as I protect her. And so the snow passes, and he is – they're both buried. I think he's, like, up to his waist. She somehow is able to – they're somehow able to both get out, but he is severely injured. But when that happens, one of the things I love is so he is passed out and she like gets herself out. And so she finally wakes him up and she's like asking him if he's okay. And he can barely even move. And he manages to keep signing you. Okay. Because he's only concerned about her. And meanwhile, I'm dying because it's the sweetest thing. Like he's barely conscious and he keeps worrying if she's okay. I was like dead. It's sweet, but it's also so earlier in the book, I think we might've missed over this earlier in the book. Rokan gets eaten by, or like, Oh God, he did. (laughs) Chomped down by an entire sky claw. Like he shoves her out of the way and the sky claw comes and chomps him in a bite. And he like stabs it and fights it off. And then he comes back and he's like, 
are you okay? And like, he will not take care of himself. Okay, that's a good point. And it's like, sir, she's fine. She has like some scratches on her face from where you pushed her. And he is like agonized over it. (laughs) He is like so distraught that he caused her this very minor injury. Meanwhile, he's almost been eaten alive. And I'm like, Rokan, I'm here for like the love, but I need you to look out for yourself. (laughs) Okay, that's a good point. Because he's so, so one-minded about taking care of her. So, yeah, so he, but he has, like, a head injury. Is it an icicle or is it a rock? He, like, there was blood on the back of his head. And so she's not sure, like, during the avalanche if, like, he hit his head or what happened. And so then she, like, drags him or something to that cave. Well, he very clearly has a head injury because she keeps having to, like, wake him up. Because he right. keeps, like, coming back in and then going back. He's like, no, you can't sleep here. And I thought this was really good on Ruby Dixon's. Like, you sort of feel how hopeless the situation is. Because she does attempt. She gets help dragging him. Because she does oh, right, move right. him. Because she does attempt to move him on her own. And she's, like, she, like, gabs him arm. She gives a good tug. And he, like, barely budges. And, like, we've been told how soft and fragile she is. So it's not like she's going to whip him over her back and carry her back to, carry him back to the elder cave. Exactly. Yeah. So, but, like, when she describes, like, how far away, there's no caves, there's no one around. Like, she feels pretty alone when guess who shows up? Her one-eyed Metlack boyfriend. Yes. <laughs> Which I thought was super interesting to tie that back into the earlier thing because I was like I was surprised because I didn't think we would see him again I was the first time I read it I was caught off guard like I cannot believe this guy is showing up he's not trying to kill anyone he just casually casually picks up this big blue guy and then walks off with him and like takes him into a fruit cave which is another big discovery for this series so she calls him up there. They get into this fruit cave. He again tries to like woo her with some fruit. He's like, here you go. Taste, taste some melon. Like, um, no, I think this is a bad idea to accept that. Yes. He gets, it's so funny because he carries Rokan up to this cave, gives her the fruit. He does the whole poultice thing. Like he chews on some herbs and puts it on his head, which sounds really gross. It did sound really and, gross. <laughs> and when she rejects him again, he like, well, fuck you then. And then he just leaves. He's just out. He's like, I'm over this. Like, he did all that work. Like, thanks, guy. And then he just leaves. Yeah. So they're in this fruit cave where he recovers. The fruit cave is a big deal. Because these women have had nothing to eat but raw meat for the past year and a half. I would be ecstatic. Oh, my God. I would be the best thing ever. I've already said if my role on the planet was, if I had to have any kind of, like, if I had to have a job, I'm in this, I'm on the ice planet, I'm a member of this tribe, what is my role? Mine would be, like, I would be some kind of forager, guard, like, some kind of, something with food. I'd be the gatherer, I'd be working on, like, seeing what we could eat that's not freaking meat all the time, berries, something. So I, that would be great. What would your role be? I have to ask. Like, you're on the ice planet, what skill, like knowing who you are now with your note, with your current like skills. Oh God, I have, I would be like a crafter. I would like sew okay. their clothes or something. Okay. Yeah. I would do the furs or something like, you know, weave crafts. 
something like that. I that's have important. no skills that is like, you know, applicable there. I would do something with their clothing, I think. That's a very big skill because I feel like they must go through between they use the leather as diapers. They're all wearing the clothes. Like they are going, the furs are their towels. They are going through furs like at least a half yeah. a day. I think that's what I would do because all my skill set besides that is going to be like reading. And I don't think they have like <laughs> books and stuff there. So you could, you, they probably do need like some kind of like town. Uh, what, what did it used to be in the old days before like TV when people would travel, like the minstrels, like travel from town to town telling stories. They probably do need someone. Who's, what like, is that teenager. even called? Oh, that's going to bother me. Isn't it town minstrels before that got ruined by minstrel shows? Wasn't the it called like the, <laughs> maybe because i just remember like they would walk with like in the medieval times they were the ones who like would walk around with a guitar and tell yes yeah. oh now i know exactly what you mean yes you're right yes, yes. like i feel like that would be a need so if you're creative that's wise, true no, that's true what else do these people have to do but sit and listen to each other have sex? true they need entertainment like like just one creative person who can tell a good story yes <laughs> or sing something um, oh god that's not me <laughs> Well, you probably you could probably sing better than the Sakui because we hear frequently that they cannot. Yes, sing. that's true. It's reiterated at the end of this book because Maddie even goes, "Be glad you can't hear this," <laughs> which I thought I'm like, "Is that rude?" I can't figure out if that's rude or not. But um, so he drags in the fruit cave. I'm loving this fruit cave. I would be the one to make a full residence at this fruit cave. <laughs> like, like the tribal caves are nice, but if you're telling me there's like. It's described as like a greenhouse with it's warm. It's warm. There's water. Green things are growing. I'm camping there. Like, oh, yeah. I would be like, yeah, I would never go back to the other place. This comes up a lot, actually. There are a couple other places that would make much better homes, but they all stay in these caves. Like the Elder Cave, that beach where Harlow was living. The yeah, I don't get it. So, like, I would pick even the beach. Like, it's just so funny. So, I like how Ruby Dixon described the fruit, too. Like, there's one that's, like, melon and spinach, which doesn't sound too gross. It's probably, like, cucumber. So, anyway, I'm really on the fruit. I don't know why. I think I'm just hungry. So, he recovers, and he gets better and better. And it reached, this is where the blowjob happens. I oh, remember, right, right, right. I remember because as he's coming to and he's feeling better, he feels really gross because he's overly warm. It's too warm for him in that in that cave. So maybe that's why they wouldn't live there. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. a good point. He's feeling too warm. He's too sweaty. He's coming to, but he's getting better and better. And like resonance is really kicking in. And like she's running around with just like a bikini top and like a bikini bottom. So he's like seeing a lot of skin. So he like wants to fulfill residence and she's like you're still like half dead we can't do that because <laughs> he's like yeah let's do this and she's like i don't think so you almost died please get on your feet a bit better but she does i think give him a blow job in the cave and they kind of like mess around because this is the moment the reason they leave the cave is because they want to fulfill residence and they don't trust they can do so in the cave without rolling over oh the right because they're on like the the edge and she's like scared they're gonna fall off while they're having sex <laughs> yeah i remember this now but i thought that's just the funniest reason to have to like change scenes <laughs> yes we have to go back to the ice area because we don't want to fall off the cliff while we do it and you know what valid, valid. True. so like 
he's better. They prepare and they hike back to the residence cave and they're or the residence their elder cave and they're like ready for it. They're ready to go. They're geared up when they get cock blocked by Farley and Maddie. So because Farley and Maddie have come from the elder the tribal caves to see like make sure they're okay. And basically Maddie and Farley or Maddie and Lila haven't seen each other since she was kidnapped. Oh, right. So this, this is their reunion. So they do that. And then I really like Farley in this one. So she also, I think, learns at some point that Rokan is 40. Did that make you stop? I mean, I was like, I guess I didn't realize that she was that old. I mean, not that 40 is old, but, you well, know. He, she's 22. Rokan is alien 40. So who knows what that is? That's we true. Lived in like 120. So, so they go back. And so as a result, they all go back to the tribal cave. It's a great big party. Lila's very popular. One, because she's very able. She's new. And she brings fruit with her, which pretty much like all the women are so excited by this. Yeah. They're all like, hi. Yes. I want that right now. Yeah. I mean, they they think they take it from her. She's like, I don't need fruit it out. And they're like, thanks. Yoink. Um, and so they're pretty popular. And so they have a big party because we learn that after every residence, they throw a party, which I kind of love. Yes. I think this partying tribe where everyone's friends and stuck on this ice planet. Sounds like a good time. So during the party, they sort of escape and fulfill residence. And this is the first penetrative sex scene like we get. Which is almost at the end of the book. Yeah. And it's not very long compared to some of the others. That's why I no, like that. No, but the earlier scenes yeah. with the heavy petting was super long, which, yeah. I mean, obviously I'm okay with, but I just thought that was interesting. And I think that's why I kind of like it. I just like her. She does the non-penetrative stuff. She's It's much more creative. She seems to have more fun with it, if I'm just going to be presumptuous. Um, it's a very sexy scene. They both undress each other. They both sort of acknowledge they don't know what they're doing, but it's very quick. So I'm surprised. I don't know. I'm surprised after she described him as a water bottle, I feel like they needed to have more foreplay. I just Yes. I don't know how. Maybe that's the queen doing its thing. That's true. We don't know. So, because I feel like that's not enough preparation for something as big as what he's apparently packing. So, but I'll give it to him. So then we sort of, so that's the end of Lila's book, right? And then we go to Maddie and Maddie is, Maddie's kind of having a hard time. Yeah. She's not very happy. And so like, cause she's sort of been, she's Lila's protector and she doesn't really need her anymore. Yeah. She's like bitter because Lila is very capable now mm-hmm. and that everyone likes her. And while she's been gone, Maddie has been pretty bitchy. Which, okay, I, I understand. Right. Yeah, granted, yeah. But she hasn't made a lot of friends for herself. But I feel like it's it's not, I feel like people should understand. I feel like they're at a disadvantage because all the women have been on this planet and they've had two years to adjust to right. their lives. So all of the women's are, women's, <laughs> all of the women are already friends. Mm-hmm. And then all of the men, like everybody who were aliens obviously are already friends. Mm-hmm. All the women who came together are friends. So then Maddie's been by herself, missing her sister, and Maddie's been isolated. So, yeah, yeah I completely got why Maddie yeah. was feeling, was all up in her feelings, too. Yeah. 
She's throwing this temper tantrum because she doesn't want to be here and her life's been ripped out from under her. So, so we sort of get the setup for the next couple and I'm kind of here for it. It's Maddie and Hassan. Which is unexpected. Really unexpected and going to create some conflict. Hassan has been exiled at this point. I think people keep referring to it as a mild exile. <laughs> 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 like he's not allowed to stay in the caves, but once the weather gets too bad, we'll let him come back. <laughs> So just a little exile. Yeah. Well, because everyone repeats, well, he's, he feels so bad. Like, he's so pathetic. We couldn't punish him anymore. <laughs> and I'm like, I guess. So so that's setting up for the next book. And I think I'm going to really, I haven't read that one in a while. I have to go back and reread it. But I do know I enjoy it. And I do know I like the whole, the conflict that's between Maddie and Hassan. Yeah, I read it recently. It's good. Yeah, because because she she's not a Lila. She's not here to put up with bullshit, and then she has yeah. to put up with Hassan, which is a lot of bullshit. So, was there anything else that you? Because I feel like I did a lot of talking. <laughs> was there any? Okay, so what I really liked about this book is that so obviously Lila has a disability, mm-hmm. but I loved that. So when there's disability in books, it's always a worry that like a, the magic peen is going to heal them. Mm-hmm. And that absolutely did not happen here. Like mm-hmm. obviously the fix in this book is that Rokan gets to communicate with her. So she was not healed, which I super loved. So I really like this book, but then I read, I think like three books later last night and Lila gets her hearing back. Yeah, I think they fixed the surgery, which is weird because Harlow Minch is fixing the surgery machine. Spoiler no, leg. another, yeah, I'm sorry. Should I not talk about this? <laughs> no, it's fine. So like three books later, it's another alien uh, uh, spaceship lands. <gasps> oh, that's right. And it's literally two sentences out of the entire book is dedicated to Lila getting her hearing back. You should have seen my face. I was so angry and I'm still angry because I super loved this book and I thought it was really well done. She wasn't healed. There's nothing wrong with her being deaf. Mm -hmm. And I thought that it was really well done. And I'm very mad that, you know, she gets her hearing back three books later. I mean, there's nothing wrong with getting her hearing back. And I guess she did have cochlear implants before. So I'm very conflicted now. I don't know how I feel about it. I think, and I think, cause I, yeah. And I think it comes, especially when it comes to deafness, cause I know that there are a lot of deaf people who feel like being deaf is not, not so much a disability, but like, it's just a difference. Like there's nothing wrong with being deaf. There's a whole deaf culture between signing and yes. like schools and all this thing. And it's like, don't and I know there's some controversy with like colloquial implants about how it may not necessarily be the best thing for deaf children, um, and so I know I could see that, and I think they she did a really good job at just showing that right. the solution to this problem was everyone learning to communicate with her through sign. That's what I loved about this book so much. I thought that it did a really good job with that, and so I highly recommend this book. I just was disappointed that three books later, that two sentence said that she got her hearing back. So I was a little bummed there. I forgot all about that because that whole, that's another big, that's a whole, that'll be an episode. Sorry. So overall, what did you think? So you, you enjoyed the book. You, you recommend it. I think I agree about that backtracking 
in the book. Yeah, I thought the book was good. I thought it was, I really liked both of the characters. I thought that it was endearing and I like uh, Lila's um, character development in particular. I thought she was a great heroine. I think that's what makes these books so good because I've tried to read some other alien series and it's like they'll really focus on the sex to the point where the characters and the emotional relationships don't mean anything or they'll really focus on like trying to make some weird lore. I don't know how she does it, but she does a really good balance of we've got sex, we've got the emotional connections, and we've got this really fun world where it takes place in. Right. I think that she does a great job of that. And so, yeah. So awesome. Well, thank you for having this hour and a half long conversation with me. Of course. About these bananas books. I love it. I'm so glad other people love it. Um, it's just been really fun getting to talk to people about it because I can't like take the book to my mom and be like, Hey, let's talk. Yeah. It's just completely (laughs) a bananas book. You have to already be in the know, honestly. Oh yeah. So just to re 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 uh, repeat, where are you on out there in the main space and where can people find all your things? Where can people find joy sparks romance and, um, well, I, my main Twitter is Melinda edits and then I'm also an admin of romance sparks joy and our Twitter is at, oh my gosh, it's really complicated because the, um, Twitter was already taken. So it's sparks joy romance. That's what it is. <laughs> so, and then I also do a regular podcast, um, for Ron book pod and that's at Ron book pod where we, um, talk about inclusive book recs all the time. So awesome. I love it. Well, thank you again. Um, I feel like this is just, it's just a weird ass to send to people, but I'm so glad people are up for it. So, Hey, Hey, welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I had a lot of fun talking about Lila with Melinda, and I think I didn't really appreciate how well-written a character Lila was until I sat and spoke about it with someone else. And I was like, yeah, she was kind of really annoying at the beginning of the book, but she really does come into her own and she gains all these skills and she does all these like kind of badass things. So I don't know, I'm just really, really grateful I've been doing this series. Um, Another thing that we sort of touch on in this episode, but I want to reiterate, I am so glad one of these damn kidnapping attempts finally fail. Like, I am so sorry, Hassan, buddy, like Hassan, Hassan, whoever. I'm sorry you have to be the one, sir, but it's about time because at some point I was going to begin to question why all of these men weren't just grabbing single ladies and running for the hills because it seems to work. It's worked for everyone else so far. So I'm really excited for his book and I'm really excited for his story because... Sad boy really messed up, and we get to read more about it. Um, I think that's all I have for you. Again, thank you for listening to this podcast. I feel like every week I put up some kind of like messy thing where I'm talking about blue dicks and ice, and people are still somehow listening to it, and I'm just astounded. So thank you so much. Um, As a reminder, if you have any questions, comments, theories, memes, whatever, please send them to me at IcePlanetPod on Twitter. Um, You can also email me at contact at iceplanetpod.com. That's it. That's the whole thing. Until next week when we talk about our sad, sad boy, Hassan. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.